Hey, you cat and dog people. This is It's Training Cats and Dogs, your source of practical strategies to keep everyone in your multi-species household safe and sane. I'm your host, Naomi Rotenberg, and today we're talking to another pet professional about how they've used their expertise to manage the relationship between their own pets. Let's get started. Our guest today is Katherine Davidson, the owner of Dog Inspired in Montreal, Canada. She graduated from Jean Donaldson's Academy for Dog Trainers in 2017 and became a certified separation anxiety trainer in 2019. She's a mom to three dogs, Harlow, Maggie, and Zena, a sphinx cat named Kiki, and a tiny human. She specializes in helping dogs prep for new human siblings, work through separation anxiety, and to get puppies off on the right foot. Hi, Catherine. I'm so excited to talk with you. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited because we have a lot in common as moms to three species. Um, And so I'm sure we will have a lot of discussions about juggling (laughs) things. Uh Yes. (laughs) Um, And so before we dive into stories about your pets and their behavior, I want to do a quick icebreaker so that the listeners can all get to know you as a human a little bit. Is that okay? Yes. All right. So we're going to do a rapid fire three rounds of pet related would you rathers. Okay. Number one, would you rather foster a litter of 12 kittens or 12 puppies? 12 puppies. <laughs> Number two, we're going to have to figure out, talk about why in a second. Um, no problem. <laughs> do you want to say why? I actually already fostered, um, I think it was four baby kittens. I had to be up every two hours to feed them and to make them go pee and poo. And it was just, it was just not for me. (laughs) No more kittens, puppies. Okay, great. I've actually never fostered baby animals. So I'm always fascinated by that whole process. Yeah, Um, I know you have to do it with puppies too, but I've never done it with puppies. And I just feel, I don't know. It'd just be different. (laughs) And you have more experience with dogs, so it makes sense. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Number two, would you rather have to do a Zoom training session with your kid screaming in the next room or with your dog barking and your cat walking across the keyboard? Oh, man, this happens both on a daily basis. I know you're talking about this before. I actually prefer my animals bothering me than my kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit more on brand. To have the yeah, animal be yeah, sure. walking by. Yeah, and I can tell my dogs to do something else or, you know, kick my cat out of the room. But my baby, it's just, you know, not as simple. <laughs> oh, those human kids require <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and last one. Number three. Would you rather, I know you're not doing this right now, but would you rather add a new cat or a new dog to your household right now? Mm, my husband will kill me, but I would, I would want another dog. <laughs> Let's make it a round four. That's okay. (laughs) So that's a really good segue, actually, into telling us about the animals that you do have right now. Tell me about your three dogs and one cat and kind of their story. How did they come to be with you? Um, And how did they kind of integrate together? So the first one that arrived in our household was Xena. Um, She's a nine-year-old Boston Terrier mix. I adopted her from uh, the Montreal SPCA, but I actually fostered her first since she was my first foster fail. (laughs) 
and then uh, I brought Harlow home a few years later. He is seven years old and he's a Great Dane. Then uh, we brought Maggie home. She was actually my parents' dog, so she used to live with cats before. Um, she's 12 and then she came to live with us about five years ago. And then I brought home Kiki, <laughs> who's yelling at me at the other side of the door, <laughs> wanting to come in. <laughs> So when I got Kiki, um, she was from the Montreal SPCA, where I worked at the time. And so um, I always wanted a cat, a sphinx cat to be specific. Um, and my husband's allergic to cat hair. So I knew that if I had to get a cat, it was going to be a sphinx. <laughs> and so when Kiki arrived at the shelter, it felt like, it was gonna happen it was now or never <laughs> so when Kiki arrived she was uh, three months old mm. uh, she was abandoned at the shelter because the breeder wouldn't take her back and her family who got her their daughter who gifted the cat to them just passed away so they weren't able to take care of the kitten anymore mm. it's very very sad so yeah that's how Kiki ended up in the shelter at three months old and it was just like I said, it just felt like fate, like it was now or never to get this cat. And I always wanted one and it was always this specific one. So I knew it was, it was it. <laughs> yeah. Sphinx, we could go down a whole rabbit hole of like, what is special about Sphinx cats and the, oh my God. <laughs> the, the things you need to do for them that you don't need to do for other cats. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. When I brought her home and one of my colleagues has uh, had a Sphinx cat as well, she was like, oh, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do this. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't no I didn't know you had to do all the stuff for the cats <laughs> bathing wiping out their wrinkles yeah. does she wear sweaters no she doesn't like them <laughs> sweaters so you have no. to keep, you have to give her heating pads and stuff yeah she has blankets everywhere and you know she has quite a few beings to cuddle up with which is great but um cleaning her ears all the time like that's the main one it's like constantly have to clean her ears their teeth get really bad too mm -hmm. like I know most cats do but Sphinx apparently it's a really it's a big issue is their teeth and then obviously bathing her, but bathing is no issue whatsoever. <laughs> you like her spotting? Yeah, she doesn't mind it. We we practiced a lot when she was a when she was a kitten. I did it very gradually, as I would with a dog. So <laughs> she's not too not too bad with it. Great. I think that's awesome that you were able to get her as a kitten. And do you feel like you had these older dogs, at least one of who is whom is much bigger? <laughs> Um, so do you feel like having her as a young kitten helped her acclimate to being in a house with three dogs? For sure. For sure. It was because it was definitely my concern bringing her into a household with three giants and one who's actually a giant. We've had dogs come visit after adopting her and she was not at all into it as she was with my with my dogs when she first came home so if I bring home another dog it would definitely be interesting but definitely her age played a huge factor in how easy the transition was do you feel like you did it did you do anything special to help her and help the dogs figure out that she was a new member of the family yeah so when I brought her home I was very diligent on how I wanted to have them interact and how I want to have those first interactions, how I wanted them to go. So I thought it was very important to make sure the dogs didn't scare her. You know, mm -hmm. my dogs are, they're, they're older, but they can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, so I really want to be careful with that. So when I first brought her home, I knew that, okay, I'm not going to introduce her through the carrier. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, you know, I'm not a cat expert at all, but I just knew this wasn't a good idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so 
What I first did was, you know, I had the dogs go outside. I let the cat walk around and explore the house. So she got to, you know, just kind of see her new home. And honestly, she came home and it was as if she was always there. She was into everything and looking at everything. And she really, it looked like she felt like she was at home, which was great. And so um, when I brought the dogs back in, I had her in her room with a gate. So I let the dogs sniff through the gate and kind of, I was being very, you know, observant of their behavior towards her, especially through the gate, just kind of seeing how they react to her. And so I was trying to keep an eye on for any sort of like red flags. Do you hear her meowing? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm just going to let her in. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> We're talking. She's like, you're talking about me. Hi, I'm so sorry. How rude. Can't see, but here she is. <laughs> oh, hi, pretty one. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. So happy now. I'll, I'll post a picture of her for you, for all you people who are listening. Just... So yeah, I was looking for red flags of their behavior with her. And so anything that would kind of like, you know, trigger something in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was looking if they were going to fixate on her, mm-hmm. if they were going to be like super excited and vocal around her, or if they were going to growl and have their hackles up or anything. So I was kind of looking for all that stuff when they first interacted with her. But surprisingly, they were just they were a little curious obviously they sniffed and whatnot and then they just went off did their own thing like they weren't much more than that (laughs) which was surprising because my dogs are actually super reactive to cats and I have a lot of stray cats in my area so I didn't expect Mm -hmm. that sort of reaction from them I expect them to be a little bit more you know reactive I guess (laughs) yeah you were you were prepared for the worst definitely you know especially with Xena you know being a little Boston Terrier and she's a little bit spicy so I was I was ready for it and when they just like sniff and like ah you brought home another foster, whatever. And then they just left. <laughs> so they were, so had you been fostering kittens before, like, or um, other cats? Or this was the first cat that you'd brought home, just happened to be a cat? Yeah, so I've had um, fosters. It would just be for sleepovers because um, I have a, a pound not too far from my house that a uh, other rescue would pull cats from to save them. So I would kind of be like that middle person. So if they couldn't find a foster right away, they knew just to call me and I'd go pick up the cat, bring them home. And then the next day they'd go to their actual foster. So I had a couple cats like that. Again, they were always very well managed between the dogs. They were always very young kittens as well. But I would let them kind of sniff them from far and kind of watch their behavior. So similar to what I did to with Kiki. But they have met kittens before, just not one so long term. <laughs> Right. So at the beginning, it was this initial, like, we've done this, been there, done that, got the t-shirt drill. Yeah. And then she just happened to stay. Yeah. They're just like, well, when, when is this one leaving? <laughs> right. Never. She's never leaving. So did you find that transitioning her out of the room was difficult because the other ones never left the foster room I'm assuming right because right? they were just there for one night so how did that go over so like I said before I was just looking for those red flags in their behavior and so when they like kind of sniffed and just walked away I was like okay maybe we're ready to let her out of the room and let her explore while the dogs are there so I was always you know in the same room making sure everyone was safe and Again, looking at their behavior, making sure they weren't fixating on her or anything like that. Um, and she was just exploring. They would look at her and like, oh, one of these things again. <laughs> and uh, that was it. It was just always, it was very, very easy with them. But 
I was prepared with lots of management and I did continue to manage them for the first few months. So whenever we were sleeping or whenever we left the house, Kiki was in her room. So her room was, um, had her litter in there, had her toys, had her bed with all her blankets. So she was, you know, very comfy spot for her. And so mostly this was preventing bad habits with her. So I didn't want her to go, you know, chewing on wires or eating plants that she's not supposed to. So it was mostly for, for managing her, but I also didn't want any accidents to happen when we weren't home or when we were sleeping. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's why we managed a lot during the first few months. And when I was 110% sure, like they were fine. then I started mm-hmm. letting her be free in the house while we weren't home. So I was very, very diligent at the beginning. Was that nerve wracking? I know like when you make a transition from like from the safe room out into the rest of the house or like managed overnight and then you're like, okay, I'm just going to take that leap and let them fly from the nest or whatever. Sometimes that can be really, really nerve wracking for you. Oh yeah. As a- oh yeah. It was, it was very like, you know, cause she was still a small kitten. She's still tiny. And I didn't want anything bad to happen to her. So the first few times it was just, you know, going to the corner store, going to the grocery store. I was gone for like maybe like 10, 15 minutes. I wasn't going to leave her alone for, you know, a couple hours at a time with the dog. So we just, again, we went slowly and making sure they were fine. You know, she was always loose in the house with them while we were home. And, you know, they never chased her or, you know, never had any sort of reaction to her. So you know, it was, it was a bit of a transition. I really made sure to go slow because I wanted everything to go well and I wanted her to be safe above all. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because, I mean, we've had on the podcast already, you know, a lot of stories where things have been really difficult and have come up with ways to maneuver or improve situations. But what's great about your story is that you haven't had any issues really, mm-hmm. right? Everyone kind of, it, it looks like what everyone thinks of in their head, you know, the cat comes home, the cats don't, the dogs don't chase her, that she just kind of comes in and everyone feels like they've always been together. Mm -hmm. But you still had all of these contingencies and plans in the background to make sure that it did go smoothly. You didn't just say, all right, well, here's a cat. Figure it Um, out. (laughs) Right, which a lot of people do. And so even though you were able to progress relatively quickly through those steps. You still had that in place in case something happened that you would be able to intervene appropriately. Exactly. Like I just assumed my dogs would be awful with her and just, you know, even if they were so great, I don't want to take it for granted how, how well they were reacting to her. You know, they're, they're animals. So their reactions can go from, you know, A to Z, one to a hundred, like really quickly. And so I, I want to make sure that, I was preventing any sort of stress, not just for the cat, but for my dogs as well. You know, they're as important as they are as the cat is to me. So I wanted everyone to feel safe and, and, and to be happy. And I knew that if I wanted this to work, I had to go slow with it. So I I really, really didn't want to take it for granted. And I just made sure that, you know, I had all the management ready to go. I still have management in place now. Mm -hmm. He's been with, with us for almost three years. And so I still have management for her. She still has her own space where she can get away from the dogs. And it's, I think that's, that's why we've been so successful with our multi, (laughs) multi animal house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great to have these, these stories where it's just, it's how we all want things to go, but it's not because of some magic. It's just, you, you had a plan, which is great. 
Um, so I want to touch on the difference in Kiki between this relatively easy homecoming as a young kitten hanging out with these three dogs and everyone was totally, you know, from the beginning, relatively copacetic. And then you mentioned that as she got older and you would bring in fosters or other overnight sleepovers for dogs, she would react differently. Mm-hmm. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we have uh, a few friends and my family members got puppies. And so whenever anyone gets a puppy, they come over to my house <laughs> <laughs> and bring the puppy to see me. My dogs surprisingly are so amazing with puppies especially like considering their age but they're really great with puppies so everyone brings their puppies over and you know puppies see a cat and they're just like oh what is that and they get all excited and they kind (laughs) of you know kind of freak out at the cat and it's very scary for her because she's not used to dogs being like oh my god and chasing after her and wanting to sniff her and be all up in her bubble so she's really not used to that compared to these new puppies who do that to her. So giving her her space where she can go hide. So I like having higher spaces in my house. So even though she doesn't necessarily use them or need them, she has higher spaces that she can go retreat to if she needs to, and she can observe and still be part of the room, but not in it that I give her. And then she always has her space, like her room, or right now she has the basement now where she can retreat to. So she always has her space. And so whenever something gets too overwhelming for her, she knows where she can go to go hide and to go be alone. But I still give her her spaces where she can observe. And this was something that with one of our friends who brought their puppy, she stayed on the piano the whole time and just watched the puppy. You know, she was able to escape if she needed to, but she would just, you know, hang around and help the other puppy too, to kind of like, be like, oh, okay, the cat's just there and it's nothing interesting, right? Because if your cat doesn't have a place to escape and she's reactive and she's trying to run away, you know, this triggers behaviors in in, in dogs where they want to chase or they want to play and it can be very overwhelming for a cat. So it's just always having that management for them. Yeah. Did you teach her um, actively, like when you would put up a new shelf or have a, a, a high area for her. Did you show that to her or did she naturally explore oh, it? Oh, she would just naturally explore it. So we would also um, put like puddle feeders like around different places for her, but she just naturally mm-hmm. likes to explore and go and, you know, look at stuff. So actually in our basement, um, it's not finished. So in the ceiling, she actually has access to the ceiling <laughs> and she mm-hmm. walks over the vents <laughs> and walks over all the, all the beams and whatnot. So she knows she loves to explore. It's her favorite thing. So even if I put shelves up, she would already, be there before I'm even done <laughs> yeah <laughs> unfinished basements are like uh exploratory cats heaven oh my god it's her it's her heaven it's heavenly for her she loves it <laughs> so I've heard of cats getting stuck in walls because they because <laughs> they're like there was an unfinished ceiling and then there was that space between like the drywall and the right. studding and they were like oh look it seems as though there's a oh crap and then <laughs> Oh, no. um, it's a easy though if the room is unfinished to just cut the drywall yeah yeah for sure she's never never got stuck in a wall she <laughs> seems to get she looked like she would be stuck in the ceiling but it's all open and i'm just like you can hear like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i'm like i know you got there you know how to get down because you got up there <laughs> exactly what goes up must come down Exactly. (laughs) So I think what's really fascinating is kind of the difference that you're describing between bringing a kitten in to a house with older, calmer dogs Mm -hmm. versus bringing a puppy into a house with an older cat where the cat is not as behaviorally pliable Mm -hmm. in their 
when they're not kitten. And the puppy being a puppy and not calm would be potentially scary for that cat. But the flip side of having the older dogs who are relatively calm and a kitten who is relatively pliable, it seems like that would be a pretty good setup, right? It would be a an ideal situation if you have relatively calm dogs to bring a kitten in versus the other way around. If you're thinking about adding a new young animal to the house, would you agree that you, mm, it's not the right way to say it. I definitely think it would be easier bringing in a kitten than bringing in a puppy with an older cat. But this is my first cat that, you know, that's mine. I had cats when I was uh, at my parents' house when I was younger, but being in my own home with my own cat, I see how it was so easy for her to be integrated into our family as a kitten versus if I would integrate a new puppy into our home at this time. Obviously with a puppy, I would still do the same things that I did with her as I did with the other dogs. You know, the, the other visiting dogs never stayed very long for her to acclimate to them. So I don't know how long it would take for her, how, you know, how the puppy would react, you know, it never Mm -hmm. has been long-term, but I do see how it was, it's much easier when, the kitten (laughs) comes in second versus the puppy. (laughs) Yeah. I think when I'm just thinking about like ideal puppy setups, you're going to have pretty intensive management for a puppy Mm -hmm. way. Right. So you might think, okay, well, I have a resident cat who puppies energy might trigger. Maybe there's some specific things that we could suggest that on top of your normal puppy management, like X-Pens, crates, lots of puzzle feeders, mm-hmm. many, many potty breaks, <laughs> make sure they're resting enough. Do you feel like there's anything extra that you would say would be helpful to make the puppy less triggering for a cat? Definitely having the puppy on leash would, would help as this would prevent the puppy from chasing the cat which is mm-hmm. a huge issue for a lot of people with their with their young dogs and with their older cats is that the puppy or the dog chases the cats. So mm-hmm. I would definitely keep the, the puppy on leash. But then it's also giving the cat spaces where they can freely explore too, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's very triggering for a dog when they see the cat run and kind of skitter everywhere. So right. the cat needs to be able to move around where they don't do that. Right. When they don't, not triggering the dog or the puppy, right? So being able to give the cat spaces, so those shelves and those higher spaces, and not just like a cat tree. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, I have a cat tree. I'm like, well, the cat tree is like two, three feet tall. It's not tall enough. It's, you know, the dog could jump on there and obviously get the cat. So it's, and it tips over, right? So it could be very scary for the cat. So it's definitely having spaces for the cat where they can feel safe and move around freely without having to trigger the dog and being able to observe each other too. So oftentimes we'll say, okay, we'll put the cat in the room, we'll put the puppy in here, and we'll just like create and rotate, mm-hmm. which is a good management strategy, but they do need to get used to each other in a safe way. So being right. able to still observe one another. So the cat observing the puppy, the puppy observing the cat, where both can be free and safe. That's Mm -hmm. why I like using the gates because they can see each other versus, you know, closing the door or, you know, having them on a different floor. So I've had clients where their cats were always upstairs. I'm like, well, they're always hiding under the bed. Not a very good life for your cat. I know you've just brought in this puppy and it's a wonderful puppy, but you have to set up a space where your cats can be free and explore too, right? It's their home as well. So Right. 
I mean, I think a lot of what I work on with um, resident cats who a dog is added and they their anxiety level spikes, like they didn't used to be hiding under the bed, but now they are. Right. It's an active process to also build their confidence to feel like they can move around their space yeah. uh, safely. So I really love your cat tree example. I always think, okay, well... There's two things about uh, setting up your room so that it there's enough spaces that are high for the cat. Number one is that we want to make sure that they don't have to book it across the floor in order to get there <laughs> because that is exactly. totally defeats the purpose of, <laughs> right? Where it's like, okay, well, I, the only way I can get there is to run for my life. Mm-hmm. That is not going to help them feel more confident. But also when we think a lot about like letting them observe each other and get used to each other's movements. I think that's a really, really great point. And a lot of people don't think about distance both on the same plane, like everyone's on the floor, Mm -hmm. but also like diagonal distance, like with height, right? So you can have, this is geometry, (laughs) right? (laughs) There is more distance between the floor and the a cat tree or a shelf up on the wall, then that same spot on the floor and directly below the shelf on the wall. Uh-huh. So if you're finding that like your house is too small or like, and people are really too, people, your animals are too triggered and you don't have any more distance to go, then adding that couple extra feet of height differentiation often makes the difference, not just because the cat is able to safely observe, but because there's actually more distance there. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't think about Pythagorean theorem for the win. (laughs) Who knew high school math was going to follow you? (laughs) Yeah, I seriously, um, (laughs) I was thinking about, I was like three squared plus four squared. I actually calculated it once. Just to make sure that everything was right. So, <laughs> nerds, that's me. So, do you still foster? Um, not since the baby. <laughs> mm, babies. I've been limited on uh, on how many beings I'm allowed to bring into the house. <laughs> I say that exact thing. Some my mother in law was like, "Oh, well, are you going to get you know another animal? Especially my my boys are getting older." And I was like, "I already have four beings to take care of because I have the two kids. It's too much." too much so how does I know you do a lot of like dog and baby work in Mm -hmm. your job um do you have any cat baby or dog baby cat baby triad experiences that you want to talk about yeah it's I've been super surprised on how the animals reacted to the baby. <laughs> the most curious has been the cat, <laughs> surprisingly. Mm-hmm. So my dogs were not too bothered about the baby either. If anything, they were not into it. They're like, okay, another foster. When is this one leaving? Because it's really <laughs> <laughs> um, They still kind of look at me with that look being like, is this one leaving yet? Like, why is she still yeah. here? <laughs> but the cat was really into the baby. And the baby is obsessed with the cat she is absolutely in love with her and it's the sweetest thing but it means that our management that we have like we have the management for the dogs you know it's almost common sense at this point for a lot of people that we manage our dog and our baby but then I really need to manage the cat and the baby because the baby is Mm -hmm. so obsessed with the cat 
And so it gets to a point where we have a toddler. She doesn't have, she has zero impulse control. She's a baby, right? She's not going to have impulse control until she's like four or five years old when it finally kicks in in her brain. So we have to extra manage them. And the cat will just take it. She just sits there and takes it. The baby will bite her and she's just like, and she stays there. I'm like, oh my God, cat, like you can leave. You can leave. And she doesn't leave, but she just stays there. I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do with them? So it's been it's been more difficult because of how I need to constantly manage their interactions. I don't want the baby to scare her. I don't want the baby to learn that she can, you know, just bite and slap the cat whenever she wants. And she's not doing it because she's being mean, right? She's a baby and just I love her so much I wanna hurt her. Right. <laughs> right. So that's been the most challenging is is the management with the baby and the animals. I manage her like a hundred percent with the dogs, but the cat jumps over barriers, right? Right. Like I was gonna say, like what you put. I think you posted yesterday or today about cat yeah. jumping over the barriers. Like she just jumps over the barriers. I'm like, oh my god! Like there's no other way to keep her out. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge problem. I think because like you know dog and baby, there are many more options for management kind of that you can just get out of the gate, literally gates, haha. But you have to be really creative with the cats. Um, And I find that like, sometimes it's not it's not management that works as much as like capturing behaviors and actively reinforcing behaviors that you like so like it's like the (laughs) it's the bridge between management and training right when I mean I am the the amount of training sessions that I have done with my animals since I've had my kids is quite sadly very very low I just don't have the mental bandwidth but I can capture stuff so there was a time we just moved into our new house where I had cookies in my pockets at all times and if I saw the cat you know jump up when the kids approached, I'd be like, excellent. Good job, cat. That is a great choice. Um, When the dog would choose to lay down instead of following them when they were toddling around, Uh stuff like that. And so for the cats, especially since you're wanting to teach her to move away (laughs) when, (laughs) when the baby is being too intense I wonder if that might be that's what usually what I re- I recommend for sure and you know what she's so food motivated like when she hears like the chip bag and it's like it doesn't matter where she is she can be outside and she's at the door she's like Mom, let me in I want chips <laughs> so food motivated this cat is for sure yeah so, so it's a really good idea because it's it's on a like I said like the management there is no management with the cat it's just she just jumps over everything. supervision yeah yeah so if you're actively supervising all the time, you know, it gets exhausting. <laughs> so exhausting. And then that's where closed doors come in. And exactly. Yeah. Babies are just they need you all the time. <laughs> they, do. they do. She's the most exhausting being I've ever had to take care of. And you know what? I mean, after she she came along, my dogs get zero training <laughs> yeah and I'm a dog trainer and I, I train with my clients and I do that and I, I work now but my dogs like I do zero training with them and it's just that's the thing when you're a parent is your your energy your time you know you have to put it where it counts and I'm like okay well I can't do everything mm-hmm. and so I have to figure out what's 
what's most beneficial for everybody. And so for me, it's enrichment, just mm-hmm. get that enrichment, hire a dog walker to walk them and, and do whatever else I can. And as for training, it's just, it is what it is. And I just manage, and I just manage. And it's a lot easier on my brain and my body because Definitely. <laughs> These are exhausting. I mean, even just managing, like there is so much to manage that yeah. that's enough. Did I leave the gate open? <laughs> like the dogs are in here. What are you doing in here? I left the gate open. Oh no, kick them out again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All this stuff. Yeah. I think it's a unique issue that people who have human kids have a lot of guilt that their attention that they used to give to their animals has now been Mm -hmm. kind of diverted because attention is a limited resource. Love is not a limited resource, but attention is. Yes. And it's important. It's, yeah. It's important. It's more important important than love. Honestly, it's, and that's something I struggled with the most, especially when my daughter was first born. I think I cried for like... a couple weeks straight. Yeah. Not because of like baby blues or anything like that. It was just, I felt so bad for my animals that I had zero time for them. And so when people, you know, have children and, you know, they already have their pets, there's so much guilt. Mm -hmm. And especially with the community that we're in, it's like, well, your dogs were your first babies. Your cat was your first baby. They take priority. It's like, no, my, my, my human child takes priority. Mm -hmm. And it's awful to say, but we always feel very guilty. And then the question of, should I rehome my animals pops into your brain? It always comes up around three months of age with that. As soon as the, the baby kind of crosses that fourth trimester, it's always like, I can't handle yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very overwhelming. And I sympathize so much with people, especially already I sympathize with people who want to rehome. It's not an easy decision. It's not something that most people take lightly. But then after having a baby and you start seeing, well, I understand why people rehome their animals. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, they had a baby, they had to rehome them. And they're just like, oh, you know, how awful of them to do that. But it's not awful. Because, you know, I realized how much less time I'm spending with my animals, how much, you know, like, yes, of course, I love them. But I'm not able to show them all this love that I have for them. Mm-hmm. Because I'm busy with this screaming toddler (laughs) who's after me who's constantly on top of me like (laughs) you know makes it difficult and on top of if you're if you have behavior issues with your animals like my dogs all three of them are dog reactive so I would love to go for walks with my dogs but I'm constantly being hyper vigilant about my environment so I can't take a relaxing walk just like that Never mind with a baby strapped to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then walks goes out the window. I can't give them as many walks anymore. And so, you know, we feel a lot of guilt. And then there's the rehoming and, you know, whether we should do it or not. I It's something that pops into my brain all the time. And feeling guilty is I feel guilty all the time. And so imagine I'm a dog trainer. Yeah. You know, I do all this stuff I do enrichment with them I've done training with them and I can only imagine for people who don't have this level of expertise with their animals Mm -hmm. how they must feel if I feel like this oh my goodness I can't even believe what other people must feel yeah and I I think it's not just with human babies I hear this all the time like when people who've had cats then add a dog and the dogs require so much more attention especially if it's a puppy Mm -hmm. right they're like I feel horrible that my cats are stuck up in the room right it's the same feeling of like this this change 
that you chose to bring into the house, right? Like I chose to add this other animal. I chose to bring, to have a kid, right? When I had X, you know, animals before. And because it was a choice, there's always that guilt that's going to come along with it. If it was thrust upon you, there's less guilt because you <laughs> you didn't really have as much control. Right. But whenever you have to split that attention pie up, it's so, so, so common, I feel. And I, I wonder how, hmm, I'm always feeling like, well, what are we going to do about it? Like everyone has this guilt, but guilt in and of itself is not useful, right? Like as an emotion, like it doesn't mm-hmm. really... It's not, you, you can't take that and run with it and like make it at, into a positive. Right. Um, so I'm just wondering if there's, there's ways to support each other around this particular issue. Yeah. I think especially for myself, like it just, you know, especially with the community I am, I'm in a lot of rescues mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, that sort of crowd that I'm in. Sometimes like, you know, we get those comments like, oh, they rehomed them because they had a baby and whatever. And it's just, it's so negative. And it's just, so when I was having those emotions where I felt guilty, resentment, mm-hmm. like the amount of resentment we have towards our animals after we have a baby mm-hmm. is very real. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I can't openly say these things without backlash because I'm a dog trainer. Like, how dare you as a dog trainer talk about this? And it's like, well... I feel this and I'm a human and I can imagine what my clients feel and what yeah. other people feel is just like, I want my emotions to be validated. Like, yes, it's, it's okay that you feel guilty. Mm-hmm. It's okay that you're resentful for your dogs, but it does get better. It does get better, you know, over time. And it's just figuring out things that were very useful. So instead of being like, Oh, well, your dogs were there first. Instead of saying things like that, well, you know, we come up with constructive ways of making it easier for this parent for this new parent yes right getting a dog walker or even just having family come walk my dogs like no one came to help right. <laughs> with that and, and it was very difficult right so just providing people with more options or more ways to make it easier for themselves yeah. you know how to implement management properly how to increase enrichment that's very easy mm-hmm. right so you're, you're a new parent you're, you don't have time to stuff kongs all day <laughs> or even an hour right. in your week you don't have time to do that like what can you do and so just finding ways to make it easier on yourself because these emotions are real and it's okay it's okay to present your dogs and the dog hair or the cat hair is driving you absolutely bananas when it's all over your newborn but just having, you know, just validating people's emotions and saying, like, it's okay, does get better. It does. <laughs> it's always going to be ups and downs. Yeah, I get, I still get the resentment and the guilt too. And, and the thought of rehoming my animals, like, it's almost daily. <laughs> yeah, I, I always say I'm really so thankful that my dog is an old man at this point in my life because he is happy as a clam to just sit next lay down next to me and sleep while I'm on my zooms and I can let him out in the backyard and play with him a little bit and we can take a walk around the block and he's happy like we'll do like a once a week thing where I'm like all right everyone pile in the car it takes about a half an hour to get everyone in the car Um, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and then the dog who doesn't like the car it's fine. We figured it out. <laughs> Everyone get in the car. Okay, we're going to go on a walk in the woods. And then navigating and and it's a three-ring circus. It's always a three-ring circus. And so I don't ever have enough energy to do it more than once a week. 
<laughs> yeah, and that's so like it's impressive. Like you do that once a week, that's amazing. <laughs> well, especially if my husband is around too, that's always helpful. Yeah, for sure. But, for sure. Yeah, it's really like that's one of the main things that I have really found in my work as like specializing in like just inter household connect you know, relationships, whether it's between dogs and cats or kids and dogs or just like anything, Mm -hmm. really being as realistic as possible about what your clients can take on. The answer is negative. Not much. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I've spoken to colleagues about this before and it's just like, okay, you you know, you have all these plans, like you're the dogs reacting X, Y, Z to the baby, and you have your clients doing all this homework, or even a couple of exercises, like, I wouldn't do that. And I'm a dog trainer, like I, I don't have the mental and, and energy to do it, you know, and so our, our resources are very finite to begin with, and then you add a baby and it just, exactly, it's in the negatives, yeah. right? it's not fair. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's just trying to make it finding a way to make it easier on ourselves and trying to ease that guilt. And, you know, for some people, it is rehoming. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, if if you have to rehome your dog, because it is too much for you, it's okay. Because at the end of the day, you need to be a good parent, a good parent to your dogs, to your cat, to your babies. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you know, you're splitting yourself into all these different pieces, you're hardly whole to be able to be there for all of them, right? So exactly, you know, I think it's important to normalize these feelings and and the decisions that people make and not make them feel bad about it because it's not easy. Yeah, no one takes this lightly. No. Yeah, I'm just thinking about even when things go really well, just like you described at the beginning, adding, you know, a cat into a house with dogs and then bringing a baby in and there have been no like horrible situations, right, that you hear these horror stories and they everyone gets along relatively well by design, right? You've done a lot of work with it. Even though things are going great, it is extremely difficult. Yeah. Put on top of that, if there's a project animal that you've been working on, or if there is animosity between any of the animals, I I completely understand if a person cannot pull a project. Even if there's no babies, even if it's just, <laughs> right? I'm here, I, I make my livelihood right? when people have a problem with their animals and they are willing to take on a project and say, we're going to help make this better. I might be putting myself mm-hmm. out of business by saying, I'm okay if you decide at, you know, after weighing the pros and cons that like taking on that project is not feasible for you as a human. I'm always, just like you were saying, a big fan of saying, of thinking about not just your animal's welfare, but your own. I think a lot of people in the primarily R plus community are so, they focus so much on meeting their animals needs that they often forget that the humans have needs too, and that they need to be balanced. And so I think having that framework to help people say, you know, not feel bad about saying, I can't train, can't create and rotate. I live in a, you know, very small apartment (laughs) or I work a full-time job or whatever, or I just, you know, I, this isn't what I signed up for. I think a lot of people like, it's okay. Whoever needs to hear yeah. this, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I feel like, yeah, there is a lot of shaming. And a person who's already mm-hmm. feeling guilty does not need shame thrust upon them. Oh, we don't. We really don't. <laughs> it's it's crazy how many emotions it, come, it comes into it. And, you know, when I 
bring in an animal, whether I bring in an animal for myself or I bring in a foster, these emotions that I had when I brought in my baby, not to the extent that I had one with my baby, but uh, I would still have like these feelings of like, oh no, mm-hmm. what did I just do? What did I just do? Every single time I bring an animal into my house, I have the, oh no, what did I just do? I have buyer's remorse immediately. <laughs> Every time they could be the best dog and the best cat in the world. And I'm like, oh, big no. changes are scary. They're scary beforehand and they're probably scarier after. Yeah. It's very overwhelming. And for some people it's just like, it's, you know, when you're, when you're, especially if you're, you know, battling with the anxiety or depression or anything like that, and you added this and you're having this emotions, it's too much and it's okay mm-hmm. that it's too much. And we shouldn't guilt someone into keeping an animal just because it's keeping an animal into home, whether and just because, right. you know, it should be for the right reasons. And if it doesn't work out, it's okay. It doesn't work out. You know, it's, it's okay. It's all right. You know, there's lots of good homes out there. They'll find a good home. Yeah. It's, that's the thing is that these emotions, whether you have a baby or not, like I've, I felt them every single time. (laughs) (laughs) And my husband too, he's like, why do you keep doing this to us? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Because we love animals. (laughs) So let's transition as we're wrapping up. So something a little bit lighter. What is the funniest thing that, or the most surprising thing that your animals have done recently? They, so Harlow and Kiki, Harlow's my great Dane, by the way, and Kiki's the cat. They cuddle all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so funny because it's the biggest being in my house with the tiniest being in my house. And they snuggle and it is the cutest thing. So I have so many pictures of it because it cracks me up. Like the cat is sleeping on the dog's leg, like just on his on his thigh, you know, just curled up in a ball or she's on his chest or, you know, like just curled up in his armpit. And it is the cutest thing. Right. <laughs> and I really didn't expect it from Harlow because when I brought the cat home, he wasn't too into her, you know, like he was just like ignoring her and she, she tried to play with him. He growled at her like he wasn't into her whatsoever. And obviously she's a sphinx, so she's constantly looking yeah. at body heat. And he's the biggest one who emits the most heat. So she was constantly after him. And this is the thing about sphinx cats. So whether or not you like them, they won't take no for an answer. <laughs> won't take no for an answer. No, you don't want to cuddle. Well, too bad. I'm going to mm-hmm. cuddle you anyway. <laughs> so, and it was just, before you know it, it was just, he was like, Ugh. You wore me down. Okay, you'll do it. <laughs> so in those times when they were trying to figure their interactions out where she was too much and he was telling her to back Mm -hmm. off and she wasn't listening. (laughs) How did you intervene in those situations? Did you intervene in those situations? Yeah, I would, I would take her away. I didn't want her to annoy him too much. He's never really shown any sort of red flag to me. Like he would maybe growl a little bit, but never like try and snap at her, but I didn't want to push him to the point Mm -hmm. where he would do that. So whenever he'd just be like, "Mm -hmm." you know, I would just grab the cat and just like put her on me or get her a blanket or because <laughs> I knew what she was looking for. She was just yeah. looking for heat. So I would just provide her another source for her heat so she can leave the dog alone. <laughs> so I would kind of jump in on those, on those interactions. And before you know it, it was just, it just blossomed into this cute little ritual mm-hmm. that they do where they snuggle together. It's <laughs> well, great because you trained Harlow to feel comfortable that when he was feeling displeasure that he wouldn't be pushed 
And you also trained Mm -hmm. Kiki kind of to leave when he was expressing this displeasure. But mostly what I think is the best is that you did a mini functional analysis and you were like, why is she doing this behavior at all? (laughs) Right? (laughs) To find she wants warmth? Cool. We can just avoid this whole rigmarole if we give her other options and that she can go seek out other options if he's being a little bit cranky. That sounds great. Look at yeah, that's a lot of a lot of dog training and and you know I'm sure cat training too is just is just okay. What is it? What is it that they want? And try and find a legal <laughs> outlet for them. And for the cat, it's just she needs some more warmth. Unfortunately, she doesn't like wearing her sweaters. I didn't really practice that with her when she was a baby. <laughs> so here's all these wonderful beds of blankets all over the house. I like that. <laughs> you say legal ways to get that fun- that need met. I have never use that phrase i think that's awesome where it's like we are the ones who decide you know is this okay as much as possible all this stuff bothers us well natural for them let's give them something legal that they're allowed to do that doesn't bother us so much (laughs) so what advice do you have for people who are thinking about adding another species to their homes? My biggest advice would be to figure out your management and what ways you can implement, you know, whether it's putting up gates, putting up some shells for your cats, even if it's not, you know, a dog or a cat, let's say if you're getting rats or, you know, any other small animal, what what kind of space can you provide this new being that they can feel safe and they can move around freely? So, you know, management, we talk about management all the time, but I don't think people understand how important mm-hmm. it is. And so we really need to take the time and be very diligent on like, okay, this is xyz and and sometimes we feel like we're limited especially if we live in a smaller space my house is very tiny it's not very big so and i was able to be creative so even those who live in smaller spaces they can there's definitely ways you can be creative with your management strategies to help all the beings in your house feel safe yeah and if and if sometimes it's not obvious to find a a creative management strategy Mm -hmm. so if you need help with that I mean that's what professional trainers are for so even if you know you're not like you don't have the mental bandwidth to embark on a training program just calling someone up and saying Mm -hmm. I I need help with effective management most trainers would be like yay (laughs) go you because that's a really everyone tends to kind of skip over that that's actually a huge part of the my program that I do with the cats and dogs and the it's the first part of it is like I actually draw out like a plan for your house. I'm, <laughs> and that's amazing. A lot of people need that because, like I said, like you said, like not everyone's very creative on seeing. They just see their limitations of their space. They don't see, you know, all this all this room for right. for growth and potential. Like right. They don't see it, you know. So it's good to have someone that comes in with fresh eyes and be like, oh we could put a shelf over here and it has access to the door. So your cat doesn't skitter right. across the floor. Like it's, you know, it's, it's super helpful. And that's what a lot of people need. So if you're struggling with your management, definitely seek help from a professional. Yeah. To help and you. also I think one other thing that people don't talk about with management is that it's not one and done. It's an ongoing process that evolves depending on how your animal's behavior evolves. And also if you don't get it right the first time, or the second time or the third time and like cats are jumping over gates or like cardboard is being scratched up or whatever. The baby's reaching exactly, through the gate. Right? You're like, ah, oh, I did not anticipate that. We, we pivot and adjust and we do not give up. 
because even when, like you were saying, even when everything is going well and, you know, everyone is safe around each other, there's still going to be management that needs to be around for just in case. And also to just provide mm-hmm. some structure. If everyone's just running around like crazy, it's often very difficult to keep everyone in line. <laughs> so it's it's not like you're going to go from 100% management down to zero. It's usually like 100% of, or like to 75%. And then you hover around in the middle for a while um, while your training plans are ramping up and you start to feel like you can trust everybody. And then like, you'll kind of end up around like 10%, 15% of it's, it's never going to go to zero. It shouldn't go to zero is, uh, is my point. And if you have a baby, you're going to stick around that 50, right. 60 yeah. range. <laughs> Until they're in college. Forever. Until they're in college. Yep. Yeah. yeah. My kids are, they're like little humans now, which is kind of crazy. And so I'm starting to teach them about like, why the animals are reacting this way so you're talking about cats and their dental issues so my old man cat right here is getting some teeth removed in a few days and he's been particularly cranky because his teeth hurt him and so I had to close a baby gate that I have not used in a very long time because my son being almost three was running around like a fool in his diaper this morning being a total nutter and Mm -hmm. the cat hissed he knows to stop when the cat hisses he said mommy rio told me (laughs) so i had to i moved the cat and i closed the gate and i talked to the kid so yes it does go it it gets better in that way but there is still gonna be adjustments that need to be made okay i think is there anything else that you want to chat about we kind of did a lot of meandering during this awesome conversation any other advice or fun facts that you want to talk to people about? I think we really went through everything. (laughs) But if there's just one, you know, one takeaway is just, you know, be easy on yourself and on your animals. And, you know, if you're struggling with something, you know, go back to square one, get your management up and running and keep everyone safe and then call call someone who knows how to handle this Mm -hmm. and help you. I think that's a perfect summation. I should put that on a poster. (laughs) So if anyone listening wants to get in touch with you to ask you some questions or hire you, what's the best way to do that? So you can visit my website. It's doginspired.ca. And then I'm also on Instagram, which is uh, the most popular. It's doginspired.ca. Her content is awesome. You should all check it out. I'm always like, oh my gosh, so cool. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. If this episode helped you feel less alone in your struggles with your cats and dogs, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Your five-star reviews and you sharing these episodes will go a long way to help more cat and dog people benefit from this resource. Also, follow me on Instagram at praiseworthypets. I'd love to hear your suggestions for who I should interview next. And if your pets aren't getting along and you don't know where to start, go download my free Pets Process Guide, a step-by-step explanation of the process that I use with my own clients when helping them through their coexistence journey. You can get access to the guide by going to praiseworthypets.com guide. That's all for this episode, you wonderful cat and dog people. Thank you, Catherine. And I will see you next week for more It's Training Cats and Dogs. Thank you.